Hello, and welcome to Disrupt TV. We are on the last episode for the decade, episode 172, and welcome. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Liz Miller. She is the Vice President and Principal Analyst covering marketing, marketing automation, and even security. Um, and I'll turn it over to Liz. Liz. Hey, Ray, it's awesome to be here. Last show of the decade. Pretty exciting. Um, but here's what I'm most excited about, Ray, I, and like we're not sharing this with anyone, right? Like it's just a no, phone not call at all. between you and me, right? It's just you and me right now. And Guy Kawasaki, oh my gosh, he's like sitting right there. But anyway, I'm literally asking for Vala right now. So anyone who is at CCE understands the gravity of this moment. I'm asking for Vala right now, everyone. Like major hashtag moment. But anyway, listen, I want to thank you so much for having me fill in for Vala. I know what, it's six What days, is so Vala? <laughs> Bala <laughs> Afshar is normally our co-host on Disrupt TV, and we'll, uh, you know, Guy, we're going to gossip about him in a little bit, but oh, okay, I want to okay. thank you for being here, and I, it's really exciting because as a marketer, um, really, talking about someone who kind of invented that word evangelist, right? So we're joined uh, here by Guy Kawasaki, who, who don't, no, 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 now it's not the time to start being modest, my friend. You really, uh, you really carved that well, space out. Now we've decided well, to call it everything from influencer marketing to evangelist. But as a marketer myself, um, you know, you really, you really brought out that authenticity. So I want to thank you. We're joined here by Guy. For those of you who don't know him, I don't know if there's anyone who doesn't know about you, but uh, you're the chief evangelist at Canva, which is a really cool online graphics tool. I was able to, to check it out, and I'm, I've been having some fun with that. Uh, he's a, you're a brand ambassador for Mercedes-Benz. Very cool. Executive fellow at the Haas Business School. You've got a long list of stuff here, Guy. Uh, you were the chief evangelist at Apple and a trustee of, Wikimedia, of the Wikimedia Foundation. Amazing. Uh, but you're also a prolific author. You've got bestsellers left and right. You and Ray are like spending your entire days writing, right? This is, this is what you do. But you also just in February released a brand new book that is really kind of this really interesting mashup between your life story and your business story, which I think is so intensely personal and must have been so difficult to write. We're going to get into that when we start talking to you. Uh, BA from Stanford, MBA from UCLA, but you and I had the same realization uh, that law school was not for us. So I love that about the background. I just had the realization, guy, uh, the night before the LSAT, and I ditched it. You actually went through the whole thing and started. So congratulations. You're smarter uh, than me. <laughs> exactly. I was like, "Woo! I'm not doing this. I'm going to go into marketing instead. I don't know how that happened. Anyhow, guys, thanks for joining us for the last show of the decade on Disrupt TV. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I just want to set the record straight that there was Jesus before me as an evangelist. So I'm not. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not going to steal that thunder, my friend. There was a 2000 year gap, but. Right. <laughs> he wasn't really selling anything, though. So you know, book distribution yeah, was a little bit slow back then. You know, yeah. so it's hard to you know make that best selling. Oh, you know, it, it, it takes a while to get all that papyrus together. So. Right. <laughs> so not that you need to know, but you can follow Guy at 
Guy Kawasaki on Twitter. I'm gonna ask the first question here. Look, yeah, and, and Bala really wanted to be here. He, he is like sick as a dog, so we will we will deal with that later. But he sends his best regards. But hey, as one of the iconic figures in the tech world and part of the original Apple Mac team, as Apple's chief evangelist in the 1980s, go Cupertino. I live there. You've just written a very personal book. It's an awesome book. Wise guy. Yeah. Lessons from a life. So. Yeah. I don't know, how did a middle-class kid from Hawaii who loved football got a C-plus in ninth grade English <laughs> in this dog-eat-dog world of Silicon Valley? Well, uh, you know, I, I, it's in a serious moment. Uh, so I'm the first generation of college-educated, you know, people in my family. And I'm from a lower-middle-class family in Hawaii. And I'm living testimony really to the results of parents who love you and who you know care about education uh i'm living testimony to the fact that you know what makes america great again is immigrants and the fact that you know america was a land of opportunity a relative meritocracy uh, my grandparents moved from japan to hawaii to pick sugarcane and so i you know i i didn't come across i didn't you know come over on the mayflower and i'm not a trust fund baby and you know all that kind of stuff so it's all about education and you know the the sacrifices that my parents made and i'm I, you know i'm just a lucky guy i love wow. it hey first generation right uh here mom came mom came from korea to chase that dream too so uh i think yeah. that's going to be the theme of uh, our first segment right immigrants well, you know, done. listen I, I, <laughs> my grandparents my grandparents you know if, if all this immigration stuff happens where they only want you know immigration immigrants who will not be dependent on the state and you know all that kind of stuff and qualify and you know all that i would still be living well i would either still be living in japan or i would never exist <laughs> because my my family came from hiroshima so you know i'd just be yeah. like a radio radioactive dust particle right now but your grandfather was a senator wasn't he my father was a state senator in father Hawaii. Father yeah. was a state senator yes yeah amazing amazing well you know I, your background is incredible and not only your personal background and you know i gotta say thank you for sharing that in the book because i know how intensely personal that must have been to get all of that down but i'd love it and would you mind sharing maybe a business story or two because you left apple twice like i think there's maybe like an infinitesimal group of people who have done that right where you where you leave twice well it's not so, leaving it's a, the fact that they let them back you got to come back, you had epic moments with Steve Jobs that you also shared in the book. So tell us about that as, you know, as, oh, as someone okay. who watches that unfold, what happened? So I worked at Apple the first time from 83 to 87. I was the Macintosh division software evangelist. I left that to start a software company, a Mac software company. A few years later, I returned as Apple's chief evangelist. And then I left that to start a, a venture capital investment bank called Grudge.com. And even after that, Steve offered me a position to come back a third time, which I turned him down. And so I am just a freaking dumbass because if I had not quit two times, or if I had accepted his third position, well, A, I would not be on this podcast. I would not, not I would not be on this, hey, this no, video conference. No, I would not be on Disrupt TV because you know, I don't know if they have internet connections in Tahiti right now. So <laughs> it, it all worked out. But listen, I, I like, 
He'd be playing ice hockey. He'd be building the first ice hockey. Well, you know, I, 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 I gave up ice hockey. I took up surfing. So um, I gave up ice hockey to surf. I just love surfing. If, if, if I had my druthers, all I would do is surf every day. Seriously. It's just ice hockey with the heater turned on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's from my evangelistic background that I have this deep, seated need to walk on water so i first started with ice hockey and then i went to surfing and it, it's because yes. of my evangelistic past don't worry he'll I be like parting it. water soon and then we won't need the bible anymore exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. well pretty soon we better all learn to walk on water if there's climate change so that's from fiji it's actually growing i can't remember what island one of the islands is actually growing like four inches and Water's rising like one, but uh, hey, you got a quote in your book that's amazing. Help people and be generous. It's good karma, and the nerdy punk intern may someday inherit, if not rule the earth. Yeah. Plus, your kids may need jobs. So tell us what that's all about. Okay. Uh, and, so, and so, what's behind this pay it forward movement you're talking about here? So uh, believe it or not, I gave Mark Benioff his first job. No. Was, Where was he, he working? Was USC. You know, obviously he didn't get into Stanford or US, UCLA, so he was at USC. Back when USC was a bad school, now everybody wants to go to USC. Well, you know, I mean, all you can do is Photoshop your kid's body onto a rower or a soccer player. How hard could that be? I mean, hey, my kid's applying for bobsled. I, I donated a million. It's amazing. Ah. They got a great bobsled team. That's kidding. Ah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I gave Mark Benioff his first job and oh, uh, as an intern writing assembly language programs and you know fast forward so now you know mark benioff the intern is now mark benioff the man um the founder of salesforce.com you know donates hundreds of millions of dollars to ucsf medical center has the tallest yeah. building in san francisco so the lesson is be nice to your interns because man you don't know <laughs> you don't know who <laughs> Or what they're going to end up doing, or Steve, oh, or like Steve Case, or Steve Case sitting in the back of the room saying, "Oh, that's kind of interesting. Who's that guy? Oh, he's just an intern." <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, no, that's pretty wild. So, uh, do you still keep in touch with uh, Mark? So, well, uh, well, good segue. So, uh, two weeks ago, I launched my first podcast, and it's called Remarkable People, and everybody yeah. who's watching this should subscribe. So the first person I interviewed was Jane Goodall. The second person was Phil Zimbardo, the Stanford psych professor who did the Stanford yeah. experiment. Uh, the third one is going to be Steve Wolfram. He, he invented Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha, the uh, search engine or knowledge engine. Wow. And so I'm telling you all this because uh, I'm scheduling Mark Benioff because I think Mark Benioff has done a remarkable job. So Mark Benioff, will be one of the interviewees on Remarkable People. Woo, that's all right. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. So I got to ask, on your podcast and as you're talking to these amazing people, you also did a talk where you started to bring up kind of the 10 mistakes entrepreneurs make, right? Yeah. Uh, and you go through, like, a couple things stuck out, right? So it's not over overhyping the 1%. Uh, why partnerships is kind of a bullshit word, and I yeah. got the first on Destruct TV, so like my day is made. Uh, and why sales fixes everything, right? So yeah. share a little bit more about that. Where, you know, I, certainly you probably lived all of these mistakes, but why did these things jump out for you? 
Well, because um, every entrepreneur makes them, and, and I, I try to to list the ten mistakes that and lies that entrepreneurs always tell, so that at least they invent new ones. Um, <laughs> it's getting kind of boring, you know. So basically, listen seriously. Basically, every entrepreneur says that uh, he or she has a world class team. Like never has an entrepreneur met with me and say, my team sucks. Never. Everyone I need money class. because my team sucks. Right. Yeah. Right. So everybody says I have, I have a world-class team. Everybody says, conservatively speaking, all we need is 1% of, you know, all the people in China. How hard could that That's be? That's it. 1%. <laughs> it's a huge number. Come right. on. It is a huge Or number. India, whatever. And, and we're going to be the number two player great. in China. Yeah. <laughs> Another lie that all entrepreneurs tell is, you know, beta sites love our product. I mean, I've never, an entrepreneur, I've never met an entrepreneur who didn't say beta sites love our product. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll dive deeper into that lie. Um, whenever people are beta testers, first of all, they're flattered that they're beta testers. And secondly, yeah. you know, it takes a real kind of hard, cold hearted person to tell someone that their beta sucks. It's like saying, Oh, you have a new baby. Your baby's ugly. So nobody ever does that. So that's why, you know, your beta sites loving your product or saying they love your product is pretty much meaningless. Yeah. Um, well, it's a customer satisfaction survey, right? Only, only supremely satisfied people look at that little card in a hotel yeah. and is like, I'm going to take that survey and talk about how much I love yeah. the white standard sheets you put in my bedroom. Amazing. Hey, but you know what? If you go, if you go to um, Apple Podcasts and look up Remarkable People, I have 82 five-star reviews and nothing below a five-star review. So you know, some reviews you should. I'm going on there just to ruin your curve, guy. I'm doing it today. I'm just going to have you block. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to block your ass, Liz. <laughs> That's Miller with one L. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But see, you know, I, I thought that was an amazing um, session that you did at Google. Right. I mean, all these folks are like all hungry, eye, you know, blue eyed, bushy eyed, like, hey, it's going to be great. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And you laid it straight to them about, I mean, the one, the one piece I think I like, we, what was it? The VC is not your friend. Yeah. Right? Was it like you're going to hang out at the Los Altos country club and like oh. have dinner with them. Holy I shit. Mean, it, you really listen to my talk. So yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've met with entrepreneurs. And, you know, knock on wood, you know, they got funding, right? So they got funding and they say, yeah, you know, this venture capital partner, this venture capital firm, they really understand what we're doing. And they really, they're investing in people. So they told me that they invest in people and, you know, we believe like in me. you and we're going <laughs> to stick with you because the reason why we're putting money in you is because of you. And so... <laughs> Um, unlike other asshole VCs, you know, these people get it. They're, they love us. They're going to stick with us. And that feeling lasts one year or until you miss your first forecast. So, you know, venture capitalists, I can think of several metaphors. One is pimp. Uh, another is drug dealer. Uh, 
that's the that's the two best metaphors. So, um, <laughs> you know, a VC is not your friend. It's not your friend. Yeah. Don't even believe that for a second. That you are a a means to an end. And you know what? So are they. <laughs> <laughs> it works both ways. It totally exactly. Works as long as you know how the game's played. Right. Know? You know, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it's some large one that was funded by some large uh, crazy guy that has a billionaire. I mean, the guy actually even let the let this co-founder actually, this founder actually pick up an extra jet for his wife. I mean, I need a you know G6 for my wife. I mean, I'm not going to talk about who it is, but you kind of have a rough idea. Hey, what? You know, what? Yeah, the first time he goes, I need to tap the kitty so that I can actually get a jet because I need a G6 to get around. Then he's like, but I need one for my wife too. The I mean, story is all going to come out on the Wall Street Journal at some point, right? When they do this thing on on, on the story of WeWork. I mean, what a freaking mess! The, <laughs> hey, the, the venture capitalist had to get a jet and a jet for his wife. Yes, it's a complete cluster. That's all I can say. I've heard this story oh three well, times. Well, you got a match. Really so you got a match. Yeah. You got a matching G six, and they let him do it. No, oh, what a mess. Right. wait, wait. Who let him do it? The, the the board of the venture cap. You mean the partners? Yeah, the partners. That's a mess. But Listen, anyways, why does sales fix everything? There is nobody's time who is that valuable. Why oh, I was no with uh, I was with Maynard Webb. I was going to Las Vegas for some conference, right? And I'm in Southwest. I'm in seat like I don't know, 22B, right? I got a tap on my shoulder and I turn around. I'm like, who's your? It's Maynard. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? 22C. Where's the jet? He's like, right. You don't need a jet. We're going to Las Vegas, Southwest, man. Get some peanuts. <laughs> At least get business class so you can join in the A's. No, no. We were both sitting back there. He tapped the back. I'm like, holy crap. It's Maynard Webb in a middle seat. <laughs> the, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers used to fly on Southwest when he was going from LA to Las Vegas because it didn't make sense to him that he had to fly a jet and waste a million bucks just to go to Caesars. So, you know, there's a, there's something to it. I, Sheldon didn't send a plane for him at the, the Palazzo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the world's largest private airplane, Air Force. Anyways, but yeah, but wait, why does sales fix everything? We just gloss over everything? Well, because, well, I know people freak out when I tell them that because but that's the truth. I mean, so, you know, the leading cause of failure of startups is death. Well, duh. And so when do you die? You die when you run out of money. So as long as you're making sales, money's coming in, you know, there's flow. So you're still in the game. But as soon as sales stop, it's over. And like a lot of people think that, you know, the key is strategic partnerships and all that. But partnership is a bullshit word. Partner, you use the word partnership when you cannot use the word revenue. Okay, so that's what that means. So whenever somebody drops the P word, really what the person is saying is revenue sucks. So I got to blow smoke up your ass by saying I got <laughs> your partnerships. It's bullshit. <laughs> sales fixes. Listen, as long as you have sales, your investors are not going to bother you because the other 98% of their portfolio doesn't have sales. And so you know, when you have sales, people are happy. You can, you know, buy the foosball table. You can cater the sushi. You can pay for the dry cleaning. You can get the bus with the Wi-Fi. You can do all that shit as long as there's sales. Sales. You just described like every commute on the 85, like ever. <laughs> you can right, even have a jet. 
Right. Well, yeah. And people would probably take it from San Jose to SFO. Like if they could, that would probably yeah. be in the game plan. But is that what, what's changed the most? Is that what's changed the most in the Valley? I mean, what, what have you seen, you know, in almost 40 years that you've been watching this, right? Um, yeah. What has changed, but what stayed the same? Because I would, I would guess, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at this, that probably some of the big bullshit lines have stayed the same. Oh yeah. But some of the fluff has changed. Well, I think more have stayed the same than have changed. Now let's not get all negatory here. So I will tell you that I think that one thing that hasn't changed is that Silicon Valley is fundamentally filled with optimists who are quote unquote, trying to dent the universe or, you know, they're trying yeah. to make a change. Yeah. Now, um, it's not all unicorns and pixie dust, but I think, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be somewhat of a delusional optimist. And, <laughs> and that's what it takes. And so, you know, let's just accept that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, okay. Now there is a class of entrepreneurs that maybe that's not so true, which is those who have uh, investment banking as a background. But other than those, <laughs> other than those, I will tell you that most entrepreneurs are trying to dent the universe, make a better widget, you know, whatever, not simply flip a company and make money. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know, this is like Hollywood, right? The studios are the VCs, the stars and actors and actresses are the CEOs. I mean, we've been playing this game in California for quite some time. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's true. Every barista has a business plan they want to show you. It's all the same. LA, Holland, <laughs> fine, fine. No. But you know what? Every, every, okay, so I started my career at Apple. I'm ending my career at Canva. So, you know. Are, you're not Canva, even done, dude. Are you retiring? Uh, ending what, your career. What? Is, what you're what not even you ending saying? your career. Come on. You're not I mean, ending I'm your 65. Career. What, what, am I going to be intern at Google next? I mean. Fine. They, they did a movie about that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> they um, cater sushi. So listen, I, I started with a great company, Apple and Macintosh. I'm ending with a great company, Canva. Do you know, I'll tell you a number that in the month of October, because it's early in November, December, I haven't asked yet, but in the month of October, Canva made 139 million graphics for people. Wow. We use Canva here too as well. Yeah. 130. That's like four or five million a day. I, I just can't Liz, even this is the problem of content money. proliferation. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, right? and you know what? This is called Guy's Golden Touch. So Guy's Golden Touch is not that I touched Canva and I turned it to gold. Guy's Golden Touch is that Canva was gold, so I touched it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like All right, man. Ru like last it. question. Rumor has it you took up ice hockey at age 48, surfing at 62. What's next, man? Well, okay, so there's a there's a deeper philosophy than just taking up crazy sports. Um I, I have figured out that in a lot Did of you parents, do a fighter jet too at one point some you yeah, know, a fighter jet that's another story yeah uh, <laughs> i figured out that you know many parents what they do is they make their kids take up what they're interested in right so if you play hockey you make your kids play hockey you play golf you make your kids play golf you know if you're an engineer you make your kids become nerds and you know they you buy them raspberry <laughs> pi you know computers for for birthdays and all that and, and so what happens when you do that is you're kind of forcing the kid you know 
I play golf, you're gonna play golf. I like Raspberry Pi, you're gonna like Raspberry Pi. Uh, I did the opposite. So my kids kind of self-selected and they said, oh, I like hockey. My other, my daughter says I like surfing. So rather than me forcing them to take up what I like, I took up what they like. So nice. boys took up hockey, really I took nice. up hockey. When my daughter took up surfing, I took up surfing. Now I have one son who's into wingsuiting. I draw the line there. I am not <laughs> going to do wingsuiting because I want to look good at my funeral. So, <laughs> so that's my philosophy. That's how you, you know, maintain close relationship with your kids is you, you show interest in what they are interested in as opposed to forcing them to be interested in what you are interested in. That's that awesome. Awesome. Guys, guys <laughs> we are here. Tidbits to help me survive a toddler, you can feel free to hand those over too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where can people check out your podcast? Uh, podcast is just go to remarkablepeople.com. Uh, when you go to remarkablepeople.com, you'll actually land at a page with all the information about the podcast. And uh, if you want to see, um, you know, what I'm, what, what I currently feel strongly about, uh, you know, what kind of curation I'm doing on social media, the best place is LinkedIn. But I will tell you right now, I am very, very political in social. He's media. very political on LinkedIn. I'll give that warning. I was watching yeah. that. Very uh, political. He's very, very active on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, I'm and telling you, you right now, I believe in women's <laughs> rights. I believe in immigration. I believe in vaccination. I believe in, you know, a meritocracy. I believe in diversity. So if you don't agree with that, don't freaking follow me. <laughs> and if you do, follow him on Twitter at Guy Kawasaki. We are ending the decade with Guy Kawasaki, Chief Evangelist at Combat, awesome. Silicon Valley legend, and hopefully someone will write a report for my book one day. But anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. As you thank rocked you it, very and if much. you're in Cupertino, if you're in Cupertino, come by. I'm on. I'm I'm two blocks away, man. So. Really? All right. I'm All afraid right. to go to Cupertino. PTSD over there. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all, all right. right. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, my. <laughs> Who do we have next, that, Liz? Did, gonna... <laughs> did that just happen? Like, that totally just happened. We just, Boom. Yeah, we're gone. We totally just, like, Boom. Went just, through with Kawasaki. That was, that was insanity. Okay, so here's what we've got next up. we got Joanne Murray. We have got who is the founder and CEO of J-Curve Digital. There she is. I think you all see her now. We've got Dave Evans, the co-founder and CEO of Fictive. Did I say that right, Dave? You got, you got, got that? that right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. Both of these two, uh, I think the best way I can theme this next section is uh, hyper growth creator meets massive opportunity innovator. And this is what happens when these <laughs> two meet, right? So listen, Joanne's got massive background. Like this is to say that, that her background is impressive is an understatement, 30 plus years of experience in banking, high-tech manufacturing sectors, really, um, you know, everything from marketing and all the things that I love and hold dear, but the theme of her career and background has been growth and really kickstarting not just growth, but hyper growth and making those strategies for marketing execution 
really come from startups through to mid-sized established companies. Uh, but she herself was also a hyper-growth CMO uh, and was really leading a massive organization at Jabil. So, I mean, really, really incredible with a CMO over at Dell Software Division, helped Michael Dell really see and get back to that foundation of new solutions uh, and new, that new solution focus and get back to those roots of uh, what made that company great. And, and then, of course, we've got Dave. we got Dave Evans on the line with us, too, who suddenly just decided he's going to hide under that amazing tool background. <laughs> but... <laughs> thing I love about Dave, and, and listen, there's, there's an amazing bio, and you guys can, can follow both of these folks and certainly follow Joanne uh, on Twitter at Joanne Moretti uh, and, and follow Dave. But Dave, Dave, you were fundamentally frustrated with kind of that labor-intensive uh, process of sourcing and those, the long wait times for parts and how long it took to actually get things done, that you actually went out and, and wanted to make software. You wanted to make hardware at the speed of software. So uh, you really founded this organization, have been featured on TechCrunch and named a Fortune 30 under 30, which clearly I can still apply for. <laughs> yeah, no, you and me long both. Gone. Yeah, long gone, right? Uh, but you can follow uh, you can follow on uh, Twitter at M A K R D A V E Maker Dave. Dave, you got right? it, Maker so, Dave. Hey guys, welcome. What's well, happening? thank you. I don't, know, I don't know how the heck we're going to follow that up after a guy speaking. I mean, I can talk about making a dent in the universe, but I don't, I don't have 65 years of stories to tell. I don't have fighter jets. I don't have surfing. I am Canadian, so I got some hockey I can talk about. But other than that, I mean, what are we going to do here? We're just no, going to name all the characters on Ray's background. That's where we're done. No, I think I think they are all all behind there. I mean, uh, uh, geez, what a what a inspiring and uh, uh, oh, he's falling. Hey, catch him! I got you! I got you! Ray. Come, back. Come back! Oh, there we go! Wow! For those falling on radio, we are coast to coast on twenty stations. Uh, you're watching me lean back in this yeah. background from some secret site I'm at, which I can really talk about, but I can show the background. <laughs> so I'm here for an all day event. Um, but anyways, yeah. So Joanne, let's let's talk about this, right? I mean, you've worked with some awesome leaders, from Michael Dell to other folks. I mean, you've had Jable, which is an amazing company in terms of innovation. What are you doing right now? Right? Yeah. What are you focused on? Because I thought you retired. I thought I was too. <laughs> I thought I was too until I met some pretty awesome people. Uh, Dave being one of them, a couple other people. So now I'm kind of sitting on boards. I'm helping companies with their growth strategies. And I'm having so much fun because now I'm the boss of me. Right? Like, well, you were doing like financial CRM and now you're doing digital manufacturing. And then, like, I, I see you off like speaking at all these different conferences and then there's women's leadership conferences. You're like everywhere. What kind of retirement is <laughs> this? This is not what retirement is. It's not retirement. I no, gave up. I gave up. It's not. <laughs> I mean, you got guys saying, hey, I'd be in Tahiti. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to be on another board. I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but it is it's busier now. It's busier now than ever. And it's because I can't stay away. I mean, I. First of all, Dave's doing stuff, and that's one of the reasons I brought him on the show, is he's just doing stuff that I dreamed about, you know, like in terms of digital manufacturing. So we'll talk about that in a second. But I got to talk about Guy, because the first time I heard Guy speak was in 2001 or 2002 at one of these sales kickoff meetings, and he was our inspiration. But he talked about quantum leaps. That was his theme that year. You know, when you have a theme for a year and you go and you talk and you have your pitch. And it inspired me so much that 
after that point, I was like, I'm one of those quantum leap people. I want to make disruption. I want to be part of disruption. I don't want same old, same old. I don't want to dabble in anything. I want to do stuff. So every role that I've taken in the career that you mentioned, Liz, and the stuff I've done was always about change, right? So even now, with I meet Dave. What is he doing? He's changing like a $12 trillion manufacturing industry, right? So I'm like, I got to be part of this. This is a quantum leap, right? And to your point, Liz, he's, he's, he's like, he's bringing all kinds of things to the, to the forefront that we only dreamed about in manufacturing, right? So things on demand, 10 million parts, you know, through his cloud, connected cloud. I think Guy called me delusional is what he called me. He said, I am a delusion. I'm like, see, I'm like, damn it. He labeled me. And he's right. Yeah. <laughs> But I love delusional people. I just get attracted to them. So that's kind of like what's happening right now. I just, I can't stay away from it. I'm, I'd be bored. Uh, I got kids and I'm an empty nester now. So they're at, you know, they're in college and they're, nobody's here. So I got to keep busy. So anyways. Uh, <laughs> You're like, is this surfing or ice hockey? I got to do something. What am I? Well, I'm Canadian too. I should be playing ice hockey, but I'm not. So it's ice hockey. Curling, curling, okay. curling, so curling, remember. curling. Curling for all ages. No. Curling for all ages. Ray has it right. Ah, uh, Liz, come on. We'll get you out there. You get the broom. We'll get you on the ice. It's okay. No. Like... no. Sweep. Tap it out. Tap it out. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, you know what, Ray? That's what I'm doing. I'm so honored. Like, I can't even believe I'm on this show with, you know, you and, and Liz and, and Guy and Dave. I, it's just, it's so exciting to be in this industry. And the other side of my life is, is helping, uh, you know, I talked to you about that FinTech company in Milan. So I get to go to Milan and hang out with those guys and, and build out that company. And they're just right. And, and you don't like Italian culture of food nope. anyway. Oh, so it doesn't work out hate for it. you. Nope. you know? hey, yeah. hey, nope. hey, Joanne, I'm close. Oh, food, Joanne, do you like that or no? Yeah, no, oh, no, no. No. Done. I'm done with you, Joanne. Done now. Done. We're so, done with it. Let's talk to Dave. No, let's talk to Dave. Yeah, no, done with you, Joanne. I don't want to know anything more. This, I have to go to Milan. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. going tomorrow. <laughs> I know. I'm done with you. I'm sorry. But no, it's great. So, and I want to share my time with Dave because he's got such a compelling uh, story. And, so, and honestly, it's, you know me, like disruption is about four things, right? You're either trying to improve your business performance, you're trying to change a customer experience, uh, you're trying to create a new business model, or you're trying to change the world in some way, make it better. He's doing all four of those things. That's what's killing me about this thing. It's like, he's actually hitting on making the, play, you know, making the world better because some, some of the innovation that he's doing and helping other companies bring to the market. He's created a whole new business model and the monetization model is awesome, right? Uh, he's making uh, other businesses perform better, right? Because there's not all that stuff that Liz talked about, the back and forth, the quoting, the material side, the ramp up time, all that nonsense, right? And the customer experience is phenomenal, right? Both from a standpoint of his own product and how you deal with, you know, fictive, but also the customer experiences that he's helping other customers deliver. Well, right? I guess I can go home now. I think, uh, Joanne, you have it from here, so. <laughs> so, okay. So, <laughs> Your, your time now. I'm good, but yeah. I wanted to tell these guys what I was doing and why I was sharing my time with you because I'm just like in awe. So yeah. go you. for it. Humbled. I love it. Well, I, I, that, that kind of leads us to you, Dave, right? So, so tell us, what's the deal? What's going on? How did you get here? Why, why are we talking to you in front of a big, crazy 
pegboard with all of my dad's tools hanging up there. <laughs> uh, because fundamentally we're makers, that's why. And we love podcasts. Like we have our own video room because we just decided to build one. Because you video rooms, you get to build rooms inside of rooms inside of a room. And that seemed like the yeah. best thing for any engineer to do. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I think. Sushi, build a room. Yeah, hey, I'm like, okay, uh, can I do it myself, actually? Okay, let's go. And then can we put the tools back up? Okay, that's pretty cool. But I think, I think Guy actually said it best, right? That the entrepreneurs fit in two realms, that you have the delusional folks where we're trying to put a dent on the universe, or you have the bankers, the investment bankers. Well, we actually have both. Uh, that myself, I'm the delusional one that said, hey, I'm a, I'm a Stanford mechanical engineer, uh, mechatronics, mechanical electrical systems, like Ooh, building wow. hardware sucks. That's a great and, major. And there has to be a better way to make these things. And I was cutting my teeth at Ford, uh, Ford Motors building dashboards for cars. So if you ever go and rent that like, you know, Ford Mustang, you get in and that touchscreen sucks, you're hitting it, that's my fault. And I'm sorry, but it's not actually my fault. Um, you so, blame it on Microsoft. Blame sorry, it on Microsoft. Not sorry, hashtag, right. But what did, what did Guy say? He said, partnerships is a bullshit word. And with Ford, we had to partner with Microsoft to put that sync system in. And it's because when you're building physical products, you have to go with these different speeds. A car takes four to six years to build. And an iPhone, you know, one of these things, they're more like six to eight months. So these development cycles are completely different. So what do you do? Yeah. You have to partner together. But these cycles take forever. And in Joanne's world, where she comes from in J-Bill, that they own all these machines. They have tens of thousands of people. They have hundreds of thousands of machines all over the world. And this cycle is incredibly slow. And so the, you're... You're trying to accelerate PLM and, and be the Airbnb? You got it. It's all around this idea is if you can help hardware companies build physical products at the speed of software, think about what we would unlock. Think about rather than the Airbnbs and Ubers and, and Dropboxes of the world, Facebooks, what if you could have that type of innovation but going to Mars, building autonomous vehicles, medical robots, you know, building smarter transportation systems, better irrigation, like these are our customers that we get to help innovate and build with. And holy cow, like you talk about driving down, you know, the 280 or the 101 in Silicon Valley. It's like fictive customer, fictive customer, fictive customer. Unlocking that innovation fundamentally is what we've tried to do from a business model. Um, and so every day we get to wake up and say, how are we going to use people, technology and infrastructure to help hardware companies move at the speed of software. That's our mission. That's my, that is my dent on the universe. That's the delusional Dave every single time <laughs> trying to say, you want to know it? VCs, I can do this. And it's going to be sales driven and we're going to be friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be friends. I like it. Get the sushi and the bus. Oh, Who's God, funding sushi. you? Wait, who's funding you on the back end? Tell us, tell us a little about the uh, VCs. Yeah, so, Where you uh, on the rounds? What's going on? I'll tell you that it's a uh, guy couldn't have said it better. It starts with sales that when we started day one of this business, we had revenue. We had revenue before I ever left Ford and my brother, who's my co-founder, Nate, left his investment banker job. So when I said I got the delusional and the banker, <laughs> we literally have, we got a banker and an engineer that decided and their brothers and their Canadian. So when we met Joanne, we're like, hey, you, you want to join this crazy uh, Motley crew here? But since you have revenue, everything's yeah. fine. Everyone well, loves you. So we did. And, and so Your parents day, are like, what do y'all do, huh? 
uh, we can't even start to say what our sister does. We could get into that, but it's like, you know, we're just all over. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, she's awesome. a singer songwriter. So we have an artist, we have an engineer and we have a banker, a banker. and a banker. Hey, so uh, a well-rounded family there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, uh, but you, man? you've got some very interesting backers here. We, we do. So we've raised, you know, over 60 million uh, to date. Everyone from uh, Intel, large corporations to Bill Gates, on the entrepreneur side to Excel, G2VP, that are like, you know, very large names in the Silicon Valley crew. So when we, when Guy said it's all about sales, your sales allows you to dictate who your partners and investors are. And we said day one, always revenue. And so what I tell entrepreneurs now, they're just raising money for the first time. There's two ways to think about venture capital, either as a crutch or a lever. And most people do it as a crutch. They say, I have a business idea. I'm going to raise money. And that's going to allow me to prove that this model works or not. But that's a crutch then, because if it doesn't work, you're continuing to rely on this capital. But if you say, hey, I have this amazing idea. I already have sales. It's already accelerating. And saying, if I raise capital, I could 10x that system. That's a lever of growth. And so for our business, because we make physical products, we've been doing revenue from day one. And so when we go to Bill Gates, when we go to Intel, when we go to Excel and say, hey, this thing's working, do you wanna be a part of the journey with capital I can 10 exit? They're like, that's a no brainer, let's go. And then you just move, you fly. And so I think this principle of lever versus crutch is probably the, one of the best advice I could give to any early starting entrepreneur uh, to say like, you need to understand which one it is before you ever go and raise capital. Yeah, I know. That's some that's great awesome. advice. Amazing I mean, we're, we're, we're basically, I mean, look, and, and, but in the past though, right, the venture scene was a little bit different. Like yeah. if you were, if you were profitable, they didn't want to fund you because they wanted you to be the crutch, yes. right? They wanted you to be a crutch on them. And, and, and that's, that was driving it. And I think we're seeing a shift now, given the fact that there's so many different ways to get funding that yeah. they've got to step up their game on the VC side. But I actually think it's important that, you know, Guy was saying that they're not your friends, right? And if you look at what's happened with WeWork, you look at some of these big names, you know, what SoftBank, these things are doing is that there's more capital than there's ever been. But there's quadrillions, there's yes. quadrillions of money really? sitting in what? instruments everywhere. It's ridiculous. It's not even trillions. We got quadrillions of notes, instruments and everything. Yeah. And here's the even funnier thing. I mean, there's literally seven to eight institutional investors control 51% of the public and traded companies. It's insane. It's crazy. It's so insane, which is why I think it comes back to the fundamentals that with so much capital in the ecosystem, you have to say, are you building a sound business? Are you putting a dent on the universe? Right. So for us, what I, what I can't stress enough is, and Joanne talked about it, we are not only helping the next medical robot build that product, but we take that money, that product of what they're buying, and I'm pushing it to a small manufacturer that's five or 15 people in the United States to help drive more revenue to their business. And if you think about the impact on local economies that that's doing, you're saying, hey, an engineer at Apple can order from Bob's machine shop in Texas, in Dallas, and they're going to get that part in 24 hours where normally that engineer would wait for four weeks. You're disrupting the whole space, but you're doing it at local economies. You're doing it at the innovation level with an Apple or whoever that next Apple is. And that's what's disrupting the entire market. 
So okay. you have to say as you go to raise money, it's not about the quadrillions you can go do, but what's the smart capital? How's it a lever of growth? Who's going to help unlock this entire ecosystem? That's, that's what I just, I, I couldn't tell more lessons to, I think, for the entrepreneurs out there and the people that want to start their businesses. You've got to pick the right capital. That's, a, that's awesome. an amazing story. And, uh, and honestly, the, you know, the economic machine that you're putting in place for the U.S. is, is remarkable. And from a you know, customer experience standpoint, you're, you're giving people the products they need closer to the point of consumption. So people yep. get what they need. Right. You can do mass customization because you've got things like 3D printing and you know, all the other types of things that you can do now. So the whole customer experience is improving. Yeah. So it's an economic driver. Yeah. It's a customer experience driver. It's amazing. You know, we, what, we thought, a lot, what yeah. we thought a lot about is that, you know, you imagine that you have these two Evans brothers. One's a banker, <laughs> one's an engineer from Stanford. And we're saying, hey, we want to go out and we could, we could start any company we want. Or, or we, we think we can because I'm delusional, right? And so we said, well, I could go build a single product and I could affect you know, maybe I make a, a better set of headphones or I make a new water bottle. I make something like this. But we said, well, what's that dent in the universe? I'm only helping make a single product. And so we said, well, if you could change the ecosystem, if you could allow people to build physical products at the speed of software, how many other dents could you make? Could you help get to Mars faster to reduce, you know, waste in packaging, to make better, better surgical robots, to build autonomous vehicles? This is now around an ecosystem that you actually get to affect and change. And it's not just you no know, new business software. It's fundamentally changing how products are brought to market. And that, when Joanne's talking about the customer experience and how you, you change this ecosystem, uh, it's just, it's, probably the most phenomenal thing that I've ever got to work on in my life. Uh, and the last six years have just been uh, a roller coaster of all time high of just, uh, it's just been incredible. Wow. That's, That's amazing. So how many, what's, what's the number count? Where, where are you at? Yep. What's, what's the number at? count if we were to sit there and be like, okay, number so, count on parts, where are we at? So through the system, we've produced over 10 million parts in the system today in an asset zero contract manufacturing business model. So I don't own a single machine. And we've been able to take 10 million parts and push it through this entire system. And if that's not disruption, we're only just getting started. When I'm talking about Joanne and doing this, I'm like, I want to do a billion. How do we get to a billion? Because I want to show that you don't need to have physical machines to be a contract manufacturer. It's around connecting the dots of all of these different small mom and pop suppliers all around the world. We actually have 250 vetted small manufacturing partners here in the United States as well as in Asia that we allow all of our engineers here in the United States to order from these order. 250 pre-vetted uh, global manufacturers. And, and we're only just getting started. Wow. This is that. Uh... And how do you get the right engineers together? I mean, getting the talent together because manufacturing technologies are changing so much. People, what people are trying to build are changing. Some things are really dependent. I mean, if you think about you know things that are happening that are like like super fine nanotech things that are popping up as well as like new types of material science. Yeah. So think about it this way: if I'm a manufacturer and say this brand new 
3D printing technology comes out. You'd have to buy a machine, hire people, train them, tell your sales team, get them on board, tell your customers. That one might take you, what, a year if you're a lightning speed? Maybe probably like four years if you're, if you're a large enterprise. We literally just launched HP's brand new 3D printing technology in a month and a half. Wow. We said, hey, it came out. It's the best material you've ever seen. And we give it to our customers. We've already 3X'd what we thought our forecast would be for this brand new material because the demand is just like that. Everyone wants it. And we give access almost instantaneously. Uh, it's you know, just, I, 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 I know this auto manufacturer is looking for shatterproof windows. You might want to give yep. them a call. So, uh, 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 <laughs> sign me up. And, yeah, and, yeah, we know uh, why, yeah. <laughs> but it's this idea, it's around access though, Ray. It's around this idea that what happens is technology disrupts and only a few people have access to that disruptive technology. But if you can actually lower the bar and say anyone can access it, that's what we've done in the software world. I don't have to be a, a, a large enterprise, you know, like Twilio or Uber to access AWS or Amazon. I can be access, a, a, not ownership. Ex- we're in a, we were talking about a world of access, not ownership. And that's that. one of the biggest things that, that has changed. Right? Yeah. Bon and I talk about this all this time. Esteban and I talk about access versus ownership all the time. We're talking yeah. about how people are trying to get to things, but they don't want to own the whole back end and they need speed, right? You've you got this need for speed here. But we haven't done that in the physical world. We said in software, I'm going to give better access that it's this need for speed in software. So go, 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 go. But in the physical world, we're still using the same infrastructure as 40 years ago. It's all pre-internet. It's, it's crazy. And so when I met Joanne and she's like, I'm the software, you know, Italian Canadian marketer <laughs> that I've done every, every software banking thing under the sun. And I ran, you know, one of the largest contract manufacturers in the world. I said, Joanne, I'm going to change your entire world and we're going to take everything you've done over your whole career and turn it on its head. And then she actually flipped back to me. She's like, I'm going to turn you on your head. Just wait. (laughs) And J curve and fictive. We got married at that moment. And oh my God. uh, It's it's awesome. It's like manufacturing me software and these guys are doing everything I dreamed about, you know, four years ago. So it, it was an amazing meeting of the minds. Yeah. Go Canada. Go Canada. We're here with Joanne Moretti, founder and CEO at J Curve Digital. We're talking to entrepreneur, (laughs) co-founder, CEO of Effective, uh, Dave Evans. You can follow him at Maker Dave and Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-M-O-R-E-T-T-I. Thanks, Twitter. (laughs) And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Um, And more importantly, happy Friday. Happy holidays. Happy Uh, holidays. And, and, you know, good luck. This is going to be awesome. Definitely want to catch up. This has been a great last show of the decade. You guys are awesome. Thank you for having me. Uh, Ray, Liz, you guys are are just rock stars. So uh, honored and humbled to to get to join. Thank you and happy Friday. Thank you so much. See you later. Happy Friday. Oh my, we are now having to ask for Vala. Well, poor Vala's not on the show, so I don't want to rub it in too hard, but we're doing the year end recap. Liz and I are going to talk about things that were interesting that popped up. And uh, more importantly, things that we saw coming, things we didn't see coming, things we wish happened yep. but didn't. What's up for 2020? And a one word to sum up 2019. I think they're going to be tough. What do you think? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. What did you see coming? You know, I thought I would see digital transformation and that buzzword 
going away. And I think we're almost there. I think people are starting to talk about just transformation, but not digital transformation. But I don't think we're no, there yet. So. so, I mean, we started the company in 2010 talking about this stuff. So. Yeah, but you know what? We, we, we've been talking about personalization for 20 years since we started personalizing print letters and doing mail merges, and we still can't get that right. So, <laughs> I, like, I'm kind of worried. Like, I, like I'm not going to lie, Ray. I'm kind of worried that we're stuck with this one for a little bit. But I, like, I, I, the thing that I like seeing that I think we saw coming is that people are starting to get it right. And people are starting to think about digital transformation as a long path and a journey versus a project like it's not my MDM project that I went ahead and spent five million dollars on and I don't know what I'm doing digital transformation is like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna go be digital now like we're gonna we're gonna go be it and this is how we're gonna live and this is how we're gonna think versus if I install this bright shiny toy that came in this box I'm transformed <laughs> like they so hopefully that's no. different no no but what we did see is I, I saw boards start picking it up Right, and that was interesting. Like boards are there, yeah. CEOs are there, investors are backing. You hear them on the earnings calls. We did this digital transformation effort, and you're like, "Oh, okay, great," you know. And it's finally there. That's the good. Part. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's talk about what didn't happen, what we didn't see coming. Uh, that kind of took you by shock. You know, I, I guess it's shock in kind of a, I guess a disappointing way. I think. Um, I, I think that I, I had hoped that diversity in reality would pick up faster in 2019, and it didn't. I thought we had so much uh, speed coming out of 2018, where we were talking about women in tech, women on boards, um, diversification across not only ethnicities, but also, uh, you know, age, and really taking advantage of the amazing, uh, you know, just the the panoply of thought and leadership that we've got out there. And I, you know, I, I saw that coming and then all of a sudden it stalled. And I think the stall is what I didn't see coming, right? I didn't see that weird stall happen kind of around the middle of 2019. So I'm hoping that the new decade, as we start looking and start asking questions around whether it's ethics, whether it's around uh, removing bias out of, uh, you know, our algorithms and out of our processes, when we start asking those questions, and I think that when we start taking that to the board and that becomes a board level question about the importance of diversity and the importance of that on our bottom line that diversity drives growth uh, diversity in thought and uh, diversity in leadership drives growth i think that uh, we'll start seeing that pick up hopefully back in 2020 but i did not see that stall happening i thought i thought we were gonna i thought this was going to be the year that we uh it, it turned real and not just a buzzword you know, actually, I, it's one of those things, I felt like everybody cashed out on it, and now we've got to do yeah. the hard work. And, and that's the part that's kind of weird, right? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. we're all going to talk about it, and everyone made their money, they did their speeches, and okay, who cares, right? And, and so yeah. we yeah. Like, uh, what happens, uh, you know, next. The thing I didn't see coming, which was really weird, was I was not expecting how much people were going to hype up AI. Like, it was hyped, I thought it was over too. That was like, really? So I just figured that, you know, it, it was getting there. It wasn't going to be this hypey. Yeah. It is super hypey now. Uh, and, you know, when, when you watch TV commercials where people are saying, and we can help you with digital transformation and artificial intelligence, you're like, oh, my God, what's else going on over here? Like, Dude, it's lines in Hallmark movies. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like, my mom was watching a Hallmark movie the other day, and, like, the really bad, like, B-list actor was like, 
in his office talking about his latest crisis. And he's like, I've got to organize and orchestrate the AI to better move with myself. And I just was like, that's it. I'm out. Nope. I'm done. I'm d- I got to go. When it's a bad Hallmark movie line for Christmas, that's the height <laughs> of, that's the height of it. But you know what, you know what I, what I'm wondering, like what went away? Remember towards like the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, when everyone was freaking out about CRISPR, where'd that go? Yeah, where's CRISPR? What happened to when CRISPR? Was the last time, right? Like, when, was, when was the last time you heard anyone be like, we have to talk about the ethical demands of what happens with CRISPR? Like it just, it. <laughs> we, we got like, one from Dennis. About- let's not forget, let's not forget bacon AI. <laughs> The criticisms of the bacon algorithm. Good God. I mean, he's right. CRISPR is the same thing, right? I mean, I don't know. I guess we've all been gene edited to not say that word anymore. I don't know. We decided decided to go for blockchain instead. We're like, we're going to make blockchain blockchain. into the ground and misunderstand it. Let's go. All right. What happened? We wished happened, but didn't. Oh, we wished happened, but didn't. Um... I would like to see everyone correctly understand what customer experience is and what it is not. And stop mislabeling customer engagement strategies where the rubber meets the road and we're communicating with our customers with that holistic, deep, company-wide customer experience strategy. And so when everyone at the beginning of 2019 was like, this is the age of customer experience. It is the year of customer experience. And then it's still the like, year. <laughs> year, you realize, oh, you get crap, 17 days. It was like a new engagement strategy. Ah, shit. You know, like it just, it like customer experience is such an important conversation. It's such a critical conversation for our organizations. And we keep, we keep, mis- we keep confusing it. So when we confuse it, it allows us to lock critical parts of the conversation out. And Nicole France has some amazing thoughts on that. So check out our blog. Uh, on Constellation's website, and she's she's got some great thinking on that, and I know she's got some things coming out uh, in 2020 that's going to talk about it. But you know, I think that uh, you know the thing that I wished had happened that didn't in in 2019 was where did the year of customer experience go? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And we when we first started out at Constellation, people were talking. We had this debate: is it experience or is it engagement? Is it experience or is it engagement? And it was a big, big de- debate as to as to what we talked about and so it kind of got we ended up with experience right but uh it's well now we're talking about both ha ha that's why i'm here Mm. hey try back we're back in the loop so (laughs) so all right that's us so hey you know actually i don't know what's up for 2020 um is it gonna get better i think so i think it's gonna get nuts i think we're gonna have some fun next year right because i think we're gonna start seeing companies that get it right role, you know, get trans, got transformation right, got operational alignment right, got AI right. I think those organizations that got it across the org, I think we're going to see them take off. And I think we're going to see really cool new things change the way people think about the companies they do business with. And that is foundationally cool, right? When you start to see the customer co-innovate with the brand and back and forth, and that's a reality, that's actually the product right, that becomes a really cool moment. And I, I think we're going to start seeing that more. And it's not going to be a commercial. It's not going to be marketing fluff. Sorry to my own people. But it's <laughs> going to be real. And it's going to be, it's going to be tangible. And it's going to be productized. And I think, uh, I think that's going to be a really cool moment to watch when that all explodes. Because it's going to unlock a lot of innovation and thinking on both sides yep. of the equation, on the customer and the organization. 
and that's when the magic happens, right? What do you see? What's happening in 2020? Uh, I, I think back to the AI hype, I think it's just going to be in the background, right? We're going to move it back to the background. Yeah. Things are going to happen. We're going to talk about the outcomes, like next best actions or, you know, recommendations or predictions or something like that. I think well, that's wrapping up and uh, yeah. But, oh my God, we're running out of time. One word to sum up 2019. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the things from last, for the whole year from Disrupt one TV. Word, one word to sum up 2019, boom. <laughs> and that's why I feel like happened, at least for me. Like, right, I, I, I was someplace for 13 years and then you all were crazy enough to have me come over. So that sums it up for me. <laughs> hey, welcome. We're so excited to have you. I, I'd say 2019 was chaos. It was chaos people running a million places, a million times, a million, uh, you know, projects and, and trying to figure out how to rationalize things, get things together. And, and I think we'll get a little bit more calm collected in 2020. It's gonna be a crazy year. Um, it looks like the economy is about to go crazy and even more gangbusters. And I think that's the good news. A lot of money to invest, a lot of money to get stuff done, but don't squander the time. So, but Kate, hey, closing out the year, right? Closing out the year, um, uh, asking for Vala, how many unique guests did we have? 374 for the show. Um, now that Joanne and Guy and Dave have been on the show, 374. We're closing out episode 172. We are four years old in February for Disrupt TV show. And you can follow everything on iTunes, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube. And of course, on our site at constellationr.com for those following on radio. Um, our producer's notes, favorite episodes, right? Esteban, Trisha, and Steve, uh, oh, yeah, Disrupt TV awesome. at CCE with Heather Clancy and Chris Lockhead. Um, and then Sonny oh, Bonnell and oh. Ashley Hansberger of Rare Breed. They are gonna be our special keynote at the Ambient Experience Summit, February 26th to 27th in Atlanta. Uh, and be then there. Angela Blanchard, yeah, be there. Angela Blanchard, President Emerita at Baker Ripley and Senior Fellow at Brown University. That was actually pretty fun. Annie, who became Annie McKee, was our leadership speaker. At hey, CCE. Annie. And then our regulars. Shouts out to Larry Ding, Heather Clancy, John Reed, Ron Miller, Esteban, and of course, Liz, thank you for being on the show. So, of course. Cool. We are on episode 172. This is Disrupt TV Show. Every Friday, live, you can catch us, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, and happy Friday, everyone. Any last words, Liz? No, I think well, we're taking, you're taking off for the holiday, right? So we come back in January. We are back January 10th, I think, for episode 173. I believe that's what it is. And the lineup is, what do we have, Liz? Oh, gosh. Did you, I printed things out, and I didn't print that one page. So no Aubrey, problem. Patricia it. Hatter, SCP and Global Services at Palo Alto Networks. I think Larry Dingen and one other third guest. So that's about it. So, all right. Hey, there thanks everyone. Go. Bye. Take care. Thanks guys.